Good morning and welcome to the Monday Main Point. It's November the 16th. Um, I am Jonathan Hendrickson. I'm joined here with my fellow pastors, Jeremiah Custer, Blake Flinchman, our senior pastor, Jeff McCarthy. Monday Main Point is brought to you by Rosa Sharon Baptist Church, and it is our uh, where we take the opportunity to look at the Sunday sermon in a little bit more depth. And uh, this past Sunday, where we were still in our uh, sermon series from the Minor Prophets on uh, entitled Echoes from Exile, uh, Prophetic Words for Troublesome Times or Troubling Times. And this past week, we looked at the Minor Prophet Micah. Uh, Jeremiah preached a really great message from Micah, uh, and we're going to talk about that in depth today. I just want to give a quick rundown of Micah. Uh, Micah is another one of those books, guys, that's like uh, full of uh, poems and, and visions and stuff, and so it it doesn't have a, a, a true flow. Um, but um, I say that, and then, and then I think that there are, and you and I have talked about this, Jeremiah, you explain in your studies, that, that even though there's not a flow, there does seem to be a structure that it follows in terms of, of um, sort of accusation, um, then pronouncement of judgment, and then this sort of glimmer of hope mm-hmm. or restoration. When it starts off, um, Micah is, uh, explains to us that uh, who he is, his hometown, and that he gives us the timeline. He actually... Uh, the, the book tells us that this was what he saw regarding Samaria and Jerusalem. That means the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. During the days of the kings, uh, the, the, the Judea king, Judaic kings of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Um, and then he goes into prophecies of judgment. Um, he looks at uh, uh, what all has happened in um, Samaria and Jerusalem predicts their exile, uh, decries uh, against the evils that, that, uh, that are going on there, in particular uh, oppressive rulers, uh, crooked rulers, um, and uh, prophets who could be paid off, um, and uh, people taking advantage of the poor, um, and, and, and of course uh, uh, false prophets as well. So all that kind of lays that out and says, because of this, you're going to be destroyed. And in fact, um, this is, from my understanding, this is the first minor prophet that we have who is predicting the destruction of Jerusalem. Everybody up to this point has been predicting the the destruction of Israel, but he actually predicts the destruction of Jerusalem. Then right in the middle of all this, in chapters 4 and 5, you get this picture of this glorious future that's coming. Um, where um, God will restore, um, and God promises to restore them, to bring them back to Zion, to bring them back to Jerusalem, and that a shepherd king will come who will shepherd the people and, uh, and, and, and she- you know, shepherd his people like a flock. Then in verse uh, chapter, sorry, chapter 6 and 7, we have uh, really the meat and potatoes of where your sermon came from, Jeremiah. Uh, and, and in there, we see almost uh, more legal terms. God presents his case against uh, Israel and Jerusalem, and they have no defense. Uh, God names their sins, pronounces judgment on them. We have, uh, in chapter 7, we have 
uh, Israel perhaps personified, or it also could be Micah speaking as well, or maybe it's both and. We can talk about that. Um, about, uh, you know, lamenting over the ruin that has come. And then finally in chapter 7, we have this great prayer um, that just sort of uh, prayer or plea for, um, well, I think it's in chapter 7 here anyway, uh, prayer or plea for, well, we actually, before we get to that, we get Zion's vindication. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that, that Zion will, uh, might be trampled down, Jerusalem might be trampled down, but would rise up again. The justice would be established uh, and that God would um, take care of her enemies. And then there's a prayer there, you know, from, from um, you know, Israel or from Micah, again, hard, hard to say there. But the idea is, is that uh, he's praying and asking God to shepherd the people uh, again, bring them back to their former glory, bring them back to those times where they were in good pasture land. And at the end, he says this will happen because of God's character, who God is, that he's a God who forgives and looks over transgressions and is patient and is, has faithful love and because of his promises to Israel mm-hmm. and the covenant he's made with them. So that's kind of a rundown. Um, really a great, a, a great book, great minor prophet. Uh, um, and you spent a lot of time yesterday um, and... I think Micah does as well on this idea of justice. We see justice has popped up more than once in our study on the minor prophets. Um, how important is justice in, in, in this book, Jeremiah? Yeah, so uh, Hosea, who first prophesied about the exile into um, Assyria, and Micah here, and of course Isaiah, who, who's a contemporary of both of those, mm. they all attribute... Um, the the exile or the reason for the exile because of Israel's or or Jerusalem's um, injustice to well two things their their idolatry and their injustice mm-hmm. we like to we like to give it to an idolatry because I guess we feel like we don't struggle with that and so we're not Israel right but <laughs> um, but so we don't like to talk about that it's not just because of their idolatry, but it's also because of their injustice. Mm, mm-hmm. This idea of justice, um, we hear that talked about a lot in, in our, our, our time right now. And one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to kind of relate these minor prophets to where we are right now. And um, we've mentioned this before, I think when we were talking about Amos, uh, we talked at length a little bit about social justice but I think even more so here, this is because um, a lot of people like to go to that, that verse in, um, in, in Micah 6 that says, um, you know, where, where, where he's saying, uh, where they're saying, well, what, 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 am, what am I supposed to do then? And he says, he's told you, what, men, what is good and what is it the Lord requires of you only to act justly, to love faithfulness and walk humbly with your God. Oh, God. Uh, uh, do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, depending upon your translation. Uh, and some people take that and champion just that verse. They pull that verse out, champion that verse, and say, this is what it's really all about. See, we're supposed to be just, we're supposed to be champions of justice, champions of the oppressed. And that's what we're supposed to be about doing. Blake, I, I don't want to pick on you necessarily, but you are the youngest in this room. And I see it more in your generation, perhaps a little bit in Jeremiah's generation, 
this notion of the, this elevation of social justice um, and, and, and uh, that, that churches should primarily be associated with social justice first. Um, why do you think you, why do you think that is? And do you, do you agree or disagree with that, that idea among your gen, you know, the notion among your gen? Yeah, no, I definitely agree that it is a, uh, it's definitely an elevated view among uh, my, my people group with uh, the age range. And so, yeah, there's a, I know a lot of people tend to think that, you know, younger people, younger people, teenagers, uh, people in their 20s, they don't really care much about anything that's going on in the world. And that is a, that is a false claim. Oh, yeah. That is a highly false claim. And yes, and social justice, like you said, is one of those things mm-hmm. um, when it comes to racial tension, uh, refugees, things along the lines of that. Uh, it, we're really seeing a big shift in our generation loving to talk about those issues, which is not a bad thing right. at all. But where the problem with the church comes in is that's what we make all of our I guess that we put all of our eggs in one basket when it comes to social justice. And yeah, the gospel definitely affects social justice, but we also don't preach a social gospel either. Right. And so we should, yeah, our view of the gospel should affect what we do, but we should not focus all on that and only put the gospel in that certain area. You know, the gospel covers a very wide, a very wide range of things, not just social gospel. Right. Yeah. So he's using a term there, Jeff. That I'm gonna I'm gonna go to your your knowledge base here. Uh, can you can you because you've you've lived longer than any of us in the room. You've seen you've seen the pendulum swing back and forth here. What is the social gospel, um, and and what's the problem with that thinking? Well, uh, it's kind of twofold. At first, like when Martin Luther King Jr. used that passage, he was talking about uh, civil rights, and he was actually calling for white church in America and the established church in America to to join in our cause. That you know, why aren't you on our side to say that you know we don't need to be treated like we are. We need to have uh, human rights. We need to have um, you know rights to vote and things like that. Um, the more modern take on social justice stemmed mainly from Marxism, which basically is Christianity without God. Mm-hmm. They took like uh, acts when everybody put everything in common and they took care of each other. So Marx was using a lot of that imagery and language. And so it, um, it, it gets mixed in now with the modern take on social justice, which right now, uh, if you preach against sin like all these prophets did, they would say you're unjust. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't call people out for their sin, their lifestyles, all that. Mm-hmm. So, so now you're being the judgmental one. You're being the one that's trying to say that you're against us and all that. And what we're trying to say is, no, there is a better way and a better path. It's through Christ. And mm-hmm. once Christ comes into your life, he helps you um, be the person you need to be. I think what happened to... Um, uh, America too in, in Christianity and its influence on politics and all it became behavioral change and if we have the right legislation and we did this then then everything would fall into place and people would treat each other the way they're supposed to and all so we, we're basically in a pattern where um, uh, we have social justice without God mm-hmm. 
and then a church with God that refuses to do biblical social justice. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of where we're at right now because if you bring it up like in our church, we're, we're a little bit more conservative and all, then people will say, hey, you're teaching liberal, liberal things, you're teaching Marxism, things like that, which we're not. We've been clear, very clear to say that that's not what we're talking about with social justice, what's being attributed to um, the causes today. Um, so you have to do your homework, you have to really read, you have to really see where people stand. Because it was the church that took care of the poor, that took care of the needy, that took care of the widow, that took care of the leper, that took care of the orphan, that provided education, that, that, that all these hospitals and all, provided hospitals. They, it was the church, it's the Red Cross, it's the church, it was the YM Christian Man's Association. It was right. all these things were Christian groups doing all these things. I mean, even the Boy Scouts and all were like, they were all at one time. We're trying to, you know, um, even the, the, the playing field and provide opportunities for, for the community and for everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, so so we're in a state now where everything's kind of upside down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, you know, it, um, in our situation, being in a more urban area, um we have to we have to be clear in what the gospel is because people then will judge us and say, well, you're a Baptist church, so automatically you're a Trump church or you're this church or you're that church. Uh, so they're already making assumptions and conclusions about us mm-hmm. before they even had to engage us in a conversation. That's why I've been trying to, myself personally, is lead off with your identity as a human, as a Christian, as a you know, husband, whatever it may be. And then later on down the line, if you want to have a political discussion with someone, have that. But don't let, let that be your lead off. Right. Don't let that cloud where, you, where yeah. your your ability to do to do the gospel yeah. and do the work of the gospel. Jeremiah, you said something yesterday in your message that I think resonated with. I, I'm, I'm Blake, wasn't it? I don't, I don't know if you got to go back and listen to it or not. Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, but, yeah. But, but, and, and you might have had access. Blake was doing children's church, so that's why I said that. Um, but I know it resonated with Jeff and I because both of us are, both of us kind of went, mm. you know, um, and it, it was in that section where you're talking, you spent a lot of time talking about justice. But you said something yesterday that I thought was really profound and, and was good. And, uh, and it was a correction of something you said here on one of our broadcasts or maybe in the room when we were doing one of these about what the most unjust thing a person can, a Christian can do. Uh, talk a little bit about injustice in terms of Christianity. Because we do want to be just people. We do want to do what is right. I mean, the Bible clearly is saying to do that. If, if Micah is saying to, the, to, saying to them, is, um, what it, you know what it, it, he's told you. God's told you what's good and what he requires of you. Here's the three things he requires of you. To act justly or to do justice, to love kindness or, or to, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. All right, so how does a Christian best do those three things? Yeah, um, so without trying to repeat the sermon, um, when we talk about social injustice uh, in the sermon, I, I, I think argued well, but I'll just say it here and assume you heard the sermon. Uh, but I, I boiled down social justice to this definition, that when one human treats another human like they are human, and then I defined human being made in the image of God. So when one human treats another human like they're a human that is made in the image of God. So if that's what justice is or, or social justice is, 
then um, really it just boils down to uh, um, treat everyone how you want to be treated because you're a human yourself. You, you, when you see injustice done to you, you know it. It's clear. Mm-hmm. Like it's being done to me. So if you want to be treated with uh, fairness, treat others with fairness and help uh, the underprivileged and stuff like that. So when we talk about social justice, I didn't mention any of these terms that I'm about to mention. But as far as my generation is concerned, you hear terms or things like police brutality. You hear toxic masculinity. You hear about the patriarchy. All of those things mm-hmm. is what the, the culture is trying to champion and uh, the LGBTQ uh, um, community and all that stuff. And so what I was trying to, to show is, is that we can call out sin and we should call out sin, but we can't treat those sinners as less than human. Mm-hmm. Right. And that includes like transsexuals, which you hear a lot of things against transsexuals in the homosexual community. Um, we can call out their sin, sure, but we can't treat the people in the community as less than human. Mm. Um, it's what, still our job to love them. Now, and I, I, I don't want to derail your train here, but I actually want to pause on that and camp on that for just a second because um, I think it would be good to talk about this a little bit. Where is the line drawn? Where, where do you draw the line at where you're saying, okay, this is wrong, but my saying this is wrong is, is in the way I'm, in, 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 you know, how do I go from, um, saying that something is is um, is wrong without doing an injustice, then without treating them as someone who is lesser than, does that make sense? Yeah, you understand what I'm saying. I'd be mean, like, because I think I think when the act when the common accusations we get um, from um, from traditional um, um, people groups who are oppressed and those kinds of things is that whenever you're calling us out as wrong, you're automatically demeaning us. You're automatically taking away dignity from us, and so you're you're doing an injustice to us. How do we answer that? Yeah, that's the question, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's where we all struggle, and, and that's where I struggle. Like, uh, how do I be true to God, true to God's word, right? But also love people, and it's the old adage, you know, uh, to 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 hate the sin love the sinner but these sins especially with the ones i kind of just mentioned are so tied to their identity for them it feels like when i when i uh, condemn the sin or or just say it's sin call it what it is um it's tied to their identity so it feels like i'm attacking them mm-hmm. and so we just have to be careful and and make sure that it's not you know arguments on on online or it's not, you know, mm-hmm. politically motivated. Yeah. Uh, hate, like, coming from an aggressive or hate uh, thing. I think the best way to do this is with your friends, mm. not with people you don't know. Sure, I can put I can put on on social media. Uh, homosexuality is a sin. I believe that. I believe the scriptures say that. But then I'm just leaving myself open to being attacked by someone that. I may not even really see as my friend. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And, mm-hmm. and they'll take it out of context the wrong way. So I know I didn't give you any tangible thing you could do. I'm just saying be careful, but also that 
that we can't we can't swing too far the other way and 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 start fighting their cause for them. Um, but we can love them like they're human, treat them like they're human, treat, don't treat them as less than human. Um, right. Those types of and, 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 and then that, of course, leads into the other thing that I was asking you about, which is you said the best way that we can treat them as a human, the best way we can do treat, treat a human as though they're mm-hmm. human is to not withhold the gospel from them. Yeah. Uh, from a Christian standpoint, that would be the most unjust thing would be for us to have the gospel and and then not share it. And and I know um, and when when we say gospel um, that includes sin. So if you're going to share the gospel, you've got to include sin, right? Right. And so and but but you also want to do it from a from a place of I'm a sinner too and maybe even uh, confess some of those sins to to them and say this is where I fall short this is where I'm unjust this is where I, my relationship with God is not perfect mm-hmm. um, just confessing that sin but but sin is part of the gospel there's no reason for the gospel if if they don't understand they're a sinner yeah this is something you were saying I know you're prepping for Nahum next week and you were saying you were saying as you came in, I got nothing but bad news. <laughs> in fact, I was in a bad mood because I've been reading bad news all weekend, figuring but, out what I'm going to do with this. But you said, something, you said something really good there, which is that we can't understand good news until we understand bad news. Right, and that's our challenge right now because if I was, you know, well, I was lost and living my life the way I wanted to. I was a party animal, all that stuff. Um, I deconverted. You know, I, I grew up in an independent Baptist church. To me, it was about rules, regulations. It was very judgmental. Um, and so my identity then was not, you know, church or Christianity. I was, you know, conservative. I was, you know, Republican, all that stuff, pro-life, all that before I became a Christian, mm. you know. Um, so when I became a Christian, um, you know, it was a, it was a big life change. And I remember telling my sister, because when she picked me, picked me up at the airport, she was like, hey, I called all your friends. We're going to go out for drinks and have fun and party while you're home for this funeral I was going to for my uncle. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I need to talk to you about that. Um, I'm not going to go. And she's like, why not? I was like, well, because I became a Christian and I'm, you know, I'm trying to live differently now. And she's like, well, you can still go out and have, I, was like, I know, I know all that <laughs> stuff, but really I'm seriously trying to be a Christian. I'm trying to live a different life. Mm. And, um, so, um, so even though I deconverted, I came back to the gospel because a, a guy that came to work for me just lived a good Christian life. He didn't judge me. He didn't, stick his finger in my face and say, you right. know, you shouldn't be going out partying and all the stuff you're doing. He just like was there. He was solid. Uh, he had a relationship with God. He had peace in his life mm-hmm. and it was something that was missing in my life. Mm-hmm. And so I think with, um, when we deal with people, um, we just have to present God and Jesus and the gospel and ourselves as flawed people that he saved and we're not perfect. And that opens up an opportunity then for them to start thinking about their own life. For them, we don't need to close the door on the gospel from a judgmental attitude. We need to say, that's something maybe you need to look into. Mm-hmm. Encourage them to read the Gospel of John. Encourage them to find out who really Jesus really is. Yeah. And um, 
and have the door open. Uh, that's all we can do. I mean, we can't convert anybody. We can't change anybody, but we can pray for people. We can be there for them. We can show them respect. Um, and if they ask us, we can give them our opinion about what we think the Bible teaches about lifestyles and things like that. But we don't need to lead off with that. Yeah. And I think once we have a hearing with someone, um, then we're able to share the gospel a whole lot better than we are if we're not doing it or if we're treating people unfairly or if we're, you know, we set up our own little conclave and we separate ourselves from the world and now we're cut off from everybody and they don't see any way to... You know, we've become this exclusive island that nobody can get on now. Right, right. So, you know, uh, this this kind of leads into what uh, something I wanted to discuss with you guys today that I think actually uh, is is relevant to Micah as well. But we we've been talking about all these minor prophets, and and um, I was reading some stuff on prophets uh, prior to this, and uh, it was talking about how prophecy is is not primarily predictive. It's not just predictive, but it's rather, um, and it's exhorting people from the Word of God about you know God's um, God's pronouncements on, on and promises, right? And um, the role of a prophet, as we've seen so far, uh, is often lonely and can be miserable. I mean, twice in Micah, we see Micah say, in uh, he, there's this. There's this long section of his lament over what's going to come. And he says in Micah 1.8, Because of this I will lament and well, I'll walk barefoot and naked. I'll howl like the jackals and mourn like ostriches. Mm. You know, <clears throat> And then at the end of the book, um, when he's looking at, at uh, this is either Israel talking or maybe it's Micah talking for Israel, but he clearly says godly people have vanished from the land. There's no one upright among the people. In other words, nobody is listening to me. There's, there's nobody to be found that's righteous. No, I, everything I'm saying is falling on deaf ears. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think about the role of the modern prophet, uh, Blake. Um, and, um, and, and do you think, um, do you think that, that uh, our role as, as pastor is kind of related? Or, or as a preacher even, or as a, a proclaimer of the gospel, even as a Christian who, who can serve that role as well. Um, do you think that it's, uh, uh, that, that, it, that it is this lonely road, that, that we have a problem right now where we're trying to preach this stuff and nobody wants to hear it? I think, I think there is a fine balance and a lot of people do not want to hear about how wicked their sin is mm-hmm. but scripture also promises that the Lord's word will never return void and so um, there is a balance there but I think a lot of times for the pastor and preaching it does get lonely it does get lonely because we feel like nothing you know sometimes we feel like nothing we say is working or anything but I kind of look at it as a uh, like beating a pinata sometimes you have to you know, beat it at least two, three times in order to get results. Mm. But you never get those results if you don't preach that <clears> first and second time, if you don't take the first or second hit. And so I think you've got to continue to work and continue to cultivate is, I guess that's a better biblical analogy than beating a pinata. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you just got to continue to cultivate the, continue to cultivate and see where the Holy Spirit looks, looks at Jeremiah, what do you think we can learn from <clears throat> from Micah and from all these other minor prophets about how best to be a prophet in, in this day and time? 
Yeah, so I, I really like, well, no, I don't like it, but when they talk about how I'm, I'm going to speak and no one's going to listen, and that whole kind of extreme thing you mentioned from 1 verse 8, like Micah's basically saying, I'm going to do ridiculous things so that you will listen to me. Mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna do everything I can possibly do so that my that not not my word will be heard, but that God's word will be heard. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that we see some some pastors or or preachers just they they do what we would say is maybe a ridiculous thing, uh, but but we just need to focus on God's word. So the prophet, the most common phrase from the prophets is, "Thus says the Lord." Mm-hmm. This is what the Lord says. So we need to focus there. Um, I think far too often we start, like Jeff, Jeff's been saying this for months, maybe years, but we start with our political positions uh, and we forget to say what God says. Thus mm. says the Lord. And we focus too much on sin, that sin is important, but we, we, we focus way too much on specific sins and sin and don't ever show people how they can they can get rid of their sin or can be rescued from their sin. Yeah, and see, that's something I see in, in all these prophets that we've looked at, maybe maybe one exception. But, um, but this idea of, yes, I'm going to give you bad news, but at the end of this, I'm, I'm also going to give you a glimmer of hope. I'm going to show you that restoration is possible. Um, it seems that every... Every prophet, maybe not Nahum, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll find even restoration in Nahum. Um, maybe Jeff's saying just a little bit, um, but but it does seem like, and maybe we can learn from that that it doesn't all have to be um, bad news, but that we need to also proclaim the good news. Do, does that make sense, Jeff? What I'm saying? Yeah, because um, remember the whole context of these prophets and Israel at the time and Judah. Is that these foreign nations, these these kingdoms, they're all built on, uh, they have their own gods, mm. and many times, uh, sometimes the god is the ruler, like you know that's what Caesar tried to be, um, but but so if my army beats your army, then my god is greater than your god, mm. and I think that's part of the struggle with the Israelites. And struggle with Judah because they were thinking we can't be touched because we're we're uh, following the true God. However, they're saying, "All right, Israel has been taken into captivity by Assyria, mm-hmm. and now, but you know that's because they were sinful and look at the stuff they did. But He's not going to do anything to us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're protected. In fact, uh, that's that's that was one of the things I was going to bring up when I was reading. I like to read through the message because it gives you like a kind of clear, um, clear, uh, you know, wording. It's a transliteration, but but um, that when you were talking about preachers in chapter two, verse six and seven says, "Don't preach," says the preachers. "Don't preach such stuff. Nothing bad will happen to us." Mm-hmm. Talk like this to the family of Jacob. Does God lose his temper? Is this the way he acts? Isn't he on the side of good people? Doesn't he help those who help themselves? Oh, that's in the Bible. Right, in this transliteration. What do you mean, good people? You're the enemy of my people. So so the prophet's trying to say, you're dependent on this temple. You're dependent on these sacrifices. You're dependent on this ritual. But you've done the same thing. What do you mean you're not going to be 
judged and you're not going to be you know held accountable i mean this is god's witness stand as <clears throat> jeremiah told us that micah is basically a courtroom drama yeah, yeah. And, and and micah is basically um maybe he's the prosecutor in this case mm-hmm. you know um and so so these people are dependent on <clears throat> on our god now is god yahweh nobody can destroy him but god he's telling them no you're going to go into captivity yeah, there are going to be bad things that's going to happen to you. You mm-hmm. are going to pay a price, and I think we in America, so often, um, we have the same attitude that we're America, we're the superpower, we've been blessed by God, we're a Christian nation, and once we call ourselves a Christian nation, then all these other nations that are out there, whether they're communist or Islamic or um, like uh, you know multi god. They're looking and judging us then. Mm-hmm. If that's what a Christian nation is supposed to look like, what kind of God are y'all serving? Mm-hmm. And so that's why we as a church have to kind of, we have to um, <clears throat> divorce ourselves from the the culture, cultural Christianity and all that stuff in order to to present what, who God really is. Yeah. Because if we weren't in America, we were in Africa or somewhere else or China even. And we wanted to be Christians where we're going to, we have to go to who God really is. And I think in America so often uh, we've missed it because we were the same way as Judah. We're thinking we're never going to be punished. Nobody's could destroy us. We're invincible because we serve God. Yeah. And I think that's what was going on here. So you said something there that I want to key in on uh, as we're, uh, as we're coming to the end of this, because um, in the end, um, there is this verdict that the, there is this verdict of judgment in this courtroom. Israel doesn't have a defense. Uh, God says you knew what to do and you didn't do it. You've not done it. I'm going to judge you. But then um, I really love where you ended with this, which is the vindication is deliverance. And we find that in, in chapter seven. And that deliverance is all based on the character of God. Like you said just a minute ago, Jeff, who God is. Mm who God really is. And um, one of the things that, that's said there, and, and you know, sh- you showed that awesome video that we put together from Family Retreat about, you know, throwing I, the, I forgot how good that video yeah, was. Yeah, I did too. About throwing <laughs> our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Um, or throwing it into the, into the sea. Um, that, uh, that verse, you know, he will again have compassion at the end of 7, uh, Micah 7, 19. Mm-hmm. He will again have compassion on us he will vanquish our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Um, and that, you know, before that even, who's a God like you? <laughs> Removing iniquity and passing over rebellion for the remnant of his inheritance. He doesn't hold on to his anger forever because he delights in faithful love. He will again have compassion on us. I, 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 um, clearly, I mean, Mike is saying what we all know to be true. And they, that's that God is a forgiving God. Um, and, and it says here that, that, that if, I, if I'm reading this right, Jeremiah, that, that if I, I bring my sins to him and he'll cast all my sins into the depths of the sea, in other words, far away from him, not to be remembered, um, if that's the case, then why do I remember them? Why, why, do, I, why do I still struggle? If, if, if Because I think there are a lot of people probably listening who say, well, if if that's if that's the case, then why why do I still remember these things? Why 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 are they still haunting me? Does it does it make sense? 
What, what mm-hmm. would you say to someone who, who says that? Because clearly the character of God says, I'm going to forgive your sins and I'm going to pass over your iniquities. But what about those that I'm remembering? What about those things that, I, that, I'm still, that are still bothering me? Yeah, so Revelation 21, right? Go to the end, uh, the throne room. Uh, you'll, you'll be judged based on your sin or your deeds. It says, it, it seems to suggest you'll be judged based on your deeds. Uh, but what's actually happening is, is, God is God as the judge is looking at uh, humans and basically determining do they have a mediator or not. That's it. Do you have a defender or not? And if you have the defender, the mediator, that's Jesus, uh, then you are... Um, allowed and your your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're allowed into the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven is the place where there's no more tears. There's no more crying. There's no more death. And so clearly at that point, you do not remember your sin. It's gone. Because if, if you're in heaven and it's this place of perfect peace and, and there's no more sin, then obviously you can't remember hurting God and, and, and doing those things that are against God or hurting people. Because uh, if you just thought about that forever, I would still cry over my sin. I would still weep over not just my sin, but sins done to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so will this happen mm-hmm. for us? Yes. Does it happen immediately at salvation? It does in in our, our right standing with God, right? So we, we receive this mediator immediately we become christians he sends us our spirits to contend with our sin so we now have hope here even on earth that the spirit is contending with my sin and uh then when we get to heaven it'll be completely forgotten all of our sins we did to others and uh sins done to us will be completely forgotten you you wanted to say something yeah and i would suggest if uh you know if anyone listening to this is struggling with just they can't forget all the wrongs they've done. They feel like they're drowning in their wrongs. You know, a lot of times, and of course, the scriptures teach that the Holy Spirit empowers us to forgive others. But I'm going to argue that the gospel also enables us to forgive ourselves mm-hmm. of those. So I would encourage anyone listening, if they are kind of struggling with that deep shame and regret, just understand that Jesus came so you could be freed from that. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't have to be in bondage to yourself anymore. Yeah. Jeff, well, well, <clears throat> to the flip side of that would be, and you touched on this a little bit, Jeremiah, would be, what about those great wrongs that have been done to me? Is God just going to forgive those things from that person? Like, like those things, those, those horrible things that people have done to me or done to my people or done to my family, um, <clears throat> shouldn't there be vindication in the end? Shouldn't there be, <clears throat> shouldn't those things be judged accordingly uh, i mean is it is it a case that god's just going to forget those things and then i'm never going to get the the vindication that i was supposed to get because that person should have got what was coming to them well uh, if the person doesn't know christ then obviously they're not going to be in god's presence which mm-hmm. is heartbreaking in and of itself uh if they do know christ the same thing what jeremiah just said once those tears are wiped there's going to be this erasure. There's going to be this east from the west. There's going to be this bottom of the depths of the sea, uh, the abyss. Um, so I think he's going to restore. I mean, when he talked about justice, he talked about restorative 
justice. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be the ultimate restorative justice. Mm -hmm. Um, Because no matter how bad people are, um, you know, we shouldn't want anyone to go to hell. And I think sometimes in our attitudes towards people like Jeremiah mentioned earlier, whether it's a, a, a group of people, sometimes our attitude is like, we want them to go to hell. You know, we, mm-hmm. we want that person to burn. Mm-hmm. We want them to pay. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's not for us. You know, God, we're going to see a name. God takes care of all the vengeance. But um, one thing I was want to talk about before we quit, if we could, um, in chapter 4, mm-hmm. uh, he talks about they're going to be taken by Babylon. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they were, like, excited because Assyria was going to be defeated, and that's what Nahum's all about. But Babylon's going to come in. Mm-hmm. And the reason they did that... Micah tells them in, um, I think, verse number 10 or so, it says, you'll, you'll, and I'm reading from the message, it says, Then you'll arrive in Babylon. What you lost in Jerusalem will be found in Babylon. Mm-hmm. God will give you new life again. He will redeem you from your enemies. And then verse, verse, um, verse number uh, 12, I think, or 11 goes, But for right now, they, they ganged up against you, men the godless people saying, Kick her while she's down, violate her. We want to see Zion grovel in the dirt. These mm-hmm. blasphemers have no idea what God is thinking and doing in this. They don't know that this is the making of God's people, that they are wheat being threshed, gold being refined. And I think in this whole time of exiles, what we're calling it right now, but the pandemic, the shutdown, the, you know, the, I think God is using this time for us. Mm-hmm to refine us, to thresh us, to make us be what we're supposed to be. So when we get on the other end of exile, when we come back, Mm -hmm. then we're able to be a better Christian, be a better church member, be a better uh, person in the community. Uh, You know, go and try to have those conversations with people and present the gospel in a way that we never had before. Um, and, and so when we look at all these things that happened, they were preserved by Babylon. If Assyria would have taken Judah, mm-hmm. they would have been dispersed like the, um, like the northern kingdom. But because God didn't allow that to happen <clears throat> and they went to Babylon, they were able to keep their culture. They were able to preserve their scriptures. They were able to come back later and build their temple. And so I, I just love the way he said, what you lost in Jerusalem will be found in Babylon. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's what God's trying to teach us this time, too. Yeah, I do, too. I, I, um, I appreciate that. Well, a lot of great stuff that we continue to find that's relevant to where we are right now And uh, as we study these minor prophets. Well, the study for the minor prophets is not over. And as we've hinted at all throughout this, uh, this particular broadcast, we are going to be looking at the prophet Nahum. He right, comes right after Micah, so you just flip the page and get to Nahum. And uh, three pretty short chapters there so go ahead and read up on that and be prepared for uh for a message from uh from god and nahum i'm anxious to see where you're going to go with that jeff (laughs) but uh we'll be right back here again next monday here on the monday main point thank you for joining us Uh, we love you guys and hope to see you soon so long